when the toast is burned and all the milk is churned. <laughs> and Captain Crunch is waving farewell. <laughs> these are these are amazing lyrics. Let's be real. I don't yeah. even know these. I mean it's it's audible fireworks for sure. <laughs> what has the secular world given us in terms of music that compares? I mean right. Kanye West, give me a break. Yeah. yeah. Like I, you know, I they talk about Little Nas being really controversial right now. I'm like, have you listened to the words to Breakfast by this boy? <laughs> They're talking about burning toes and burning in hell. Welcome to Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey, and I'm Sam, and <laughs> we are rec- we're recording this a little early because I'm about to get out of here. I'm going on a long weekend to everyone's favorite vacation spot, Southern Oklahoma. Nice. How'd you land on yeah. Southern Oklahoma? Sometimes I just go on Airbnb and I just like look for a spot that like catches my eye. So Airbnb is like the best thing that's ever happened to oh, like yeah. hotels and stuff like that. It's so yeah. great. We've gotten like so many really interesting, cool places to stay that we never would have found before, like cabins up in the mountains and all this stuff. But so I found this place in Southern Oklahoma. It's kind of in the Ozarks. So it's up in the mountains and it's like 300 acres in the middle of nowhere. No one around. And if all goes right, I'm not going to talk to another human being besides April for like four days. It's going to be great. That sounds pretty great. Do so <laughs> you actually just go on Airbnb and search within like a 300 mile radius and just find something cool? Okay. So I usually like start by looking around at like, okay, I want to drive like three hours, four hours, something like that. So I'll just look for like parks and stuff that I've never been to in a okay. given state or whatever. And then once I find one that looks cool, I'll like search Airbnb in that area. And if nothing really interesting comes up, I'll move on to the next place. But generally, there's at least like one or two in there that you're like, oh, that place looks awesome. And sometimes they're expensive. Oh, yeah. But, but you know, most, most of the time they're fine, though. You know, most of the time they're pretty reasonable. Yeah, we've always done Airbnb when we're doing something with like a group of friends. Like, you know, we'll have um, we'll have, go away with like two, three other couples that we've been friends with for a long time and find like a dope Airbnb somewhere. And that always works out great. And I mean, there's so there's so many that are nice and they're in like good locations that you can really have a, like a like it just beats the pants off of trying to find like a hotel in an area. But one of the things we did do a couple of years ago, year and a half ago, I don't know. We got like a credit card that has that you just build up hotel points. And that's been amazing cuz like any giant purchase we've ever had to do, we just throw it on the the credit card. And I mean, giant purchases for us can sometimes just be even like uh, you know, I heat my house with with propane and I have a 500 gallon propane tank and I generally wait to the last minute. That's a big to, purchase. Yeah. Generally wait to the last minute to fill it up. And I'm like, that is clearly going on the credit card. So I don't know. Car did, you, did you put your calf implants on there? 
Yeah, in my uh, butt implants. I have a, a solid, solid pair of butt implants now. <laughs> I just thought that was your spine showing through. Yeah. <laughs> now I've always had uh, such an old man butt that I was like, you know what? It's time to do something about this. I bet you're hard on like leather upholstery. Oh, yeah. I'll wear through a leather couch real quick. <laughs> do you remember that? I don't know if this is good podcasting. Do you remember that episode of King of the Hill where Hank Hill gets the ass implants? And he doesn't like it because he, he has to get like a prosthetic butt because he has like no butt. And it's like he's like hurting his hips or something like that. So like he gets this like prosthetic ass and he doesn't like it because it's like uncomfortable riding his lawnmower or something like that i don't remember exactly but i just remember like it being one of my favorite episodes of like him walking around because hank hill always had that like super flat ass and now it's and then like in this episode just like he's got this like just perky ass it's like (laughs) everyone's staring at it's so funny king of the hill was one of the greatest shows of all time oh it's so good my buddy Jesse always said that my dad was Hank Hill. Yeah. And then he would call me Bobby and I didn't like it. <laughs> You're a little Bobby-ish. I don't know you. That's my purse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So Man. last week I had um, I had started to tell a story or mentioned that I was going to tell a story about uh, a drunk friend of mine throwing up and I decided that I'd save it for another time because we just didn't have the time to get into it. But I'm going to share that story now because uh, I'm sure everybody maybe forgot about it, but I didn't. And it was I've been looking to forward to it. So. So my friend and I uh, and I was, it was me and a couple of people, but uh, one of them was uh, one of my friends came and he we went to this like it was like a beer festival kind of thing, like 20, 20 minutes away from my house. Like, uh, it was like an apple orchard that also has like a brewery in it. And they do like every, it's like a couple do like these seasonal beer festivals. Right. So like a bunch of breweries from the area, all send beer in and you just go and there's probably like 12 different beers you can try. So we go, uh, typically before something like that, I eat a lot. Like I'll have like a, well, if we were going for like noon or whatever, I'll eat like a giant ass breakfast. Cause I'm not trying to go drink a bunch of beer on like an empty stomach. We all know what happens when you do that. Um, and so my friend comes, I don't know what happened. I truly don't even understand what happened because him and I had the same amount of drink. We both had four beers Hung around the orchard for a while because uh, this live music, it's a nice place. So we get, I don't know, it, it was like three or four beers, nothing wild. And then we just hang out for another hour. And he's like not looking great by the time we're leaving. And a <laughs> little wobbly, a little like, I, that's it's not making sense. Me, the three other people that I went with were all, were all fine. And We get in the car, driving home. He immediately falls asleep, sleeps the entire way back to my house. He had, he had met me at my house. So we're going back there and, uh, I, you know, I get to my house. We have to like help him out of the car. And then he, and then he's like, he falls over in my front lawn and just lays like planks face first into the lawn. I was like, none of this makes any sense. Like 
I'm where everyone who went was just doing great. And he's looks like he's dying. And so his, his wife and kids were at my house. His kids are about the same age as like my kids. So we, they'll, they'll come and hang out a good bit. And, you know, he'll, uh, so we're there, like his wife and kids are hanging out with, with mine. And so I have to go, like, I have to go tell his wife, like, I don't, I don't know what's happening, but your husband is dying. <laughs> and like, so she's pissed and we're like, it's fine. He can just chill here. Like he'll just, you know, he can hang out, sleep on the, like he'll sleep it off on my couch, whatever. So his wife and kids go and they're all like, how come daddy's not coming? And then like my kids are like, why is he laying down on the couch? Like acting like a deranged person. So we, <laughs> he falls asleep on the couch for like 30 minutes and, and he wakes up in a panic and just doesn't say words, just makes sounds like, <laughs> and I'm like, Oh God, like he damn was the hibernating bear. Yeah. Now I don't know if anyone listening knows the feel. I'm sure most people do knows the feeling of, being drunk, like really drunk, going to sleep and then waking up 30 minutes later, the feeling is I'm going to puke my fucking guts out. So I knew that's what was going to happen. <laughs> and I book it to my kitchen, grab a bowl, run back to him to find him, bury his face in my couch cushion, bury it, just <laughs> and just barf. All over it, face down in the couch cushion. I was like, what the fuck? I don't I didn't know what to even do. I'm just looking at it and he's just like face down into it. It's like, oh I don't know. I this is this is shortly after we moved into my house on the couch that I financed. That's like ah. Uh, uh, that's when I had that same feeling of I think I have to put this couch in the garbage now. I'm still making payments on that sofa, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, it was a true, true nightmare. I like we didn't really know what to do. I'm like, all right, I guess so I have to like kind of like help walk him into my guest room and and lay him down in the bed. I'm like helping him like taking his shoes off putting him in bed, like putting covers on, like leaving the bowl next to him. And um, it was, it was just wild. And I, to this day, like we still joke about it because we don't understand what happened. Like he didn't have a lot to drink. He didn't have much to eat beforehand. Um, and he had mentioned like switching recently, switching, like a, a a medication that he was on that maybe didn't mix well with alcohol. Maybe he took it around that time. There's like a My few back like was sore, so I chewed a couple oxy before yeah. we went. <laughs> There's a few theories, but we still don't know. It, but it, man, that was I mean, it took me so long. I had to like, you know, you have to unzip the the whole cushion like I mean, that thing sat in my bathtub for like 5 days. It I trying to clean that out. Oh. An absolute nightmare. So that was my, uh, that was just the other barf story that I felt like everybody needed to, to hear. Yeah. What was the strategy there? Did he think it was like putting your thumb over the hose or something like that? Or 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I just punch this cushion super hard in my face, nothing will come out. <laughs> I don't want to ruin my shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the amount I'm of like, places there were to go. Like, I don't even think we had a carpet in there yet. Like, pick the hardwood floors, baby. I don't know. <laughs> Anything would have been better than face down in the couch. <laughs> it's like when you're... When you got a dog, like my, my dog Django, for some reason, he just, he takes a dump in the house sometimes. I don't know why. He just like, it's just always been a thing with him. Like he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. And then all of a sudden you're like, you walk out. Like I was, I think I was on the phone with you the other day and I walked in and I'm like putting my stuff down and I like stepped on a turd. (laughs) Like, it's like when you, when you hear the, like a dog or you see them like, like they're obviously about to have an accident or like they start making that noise. Like they're going to barf. It's like a very specific, like I've woken up out of a dead sleep to that noise. That's how much I have like an internal alarm for it. I'll hear him in the, in the living room and just, he just makes this noise like, yeah, (laughs) you're like, no, 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 no. And they always like go right for the carpet. It's like whatever the most valuable item is, right? Yes, they always every my dog will do that too. And I'm like, the second my dog, my cat, any animal starts making that like I'm about to barf noise, it's just like they seek out carpentry. (laughs) Cats make a a, a different cats. There's more like a gulping noise. It's like, (laughs) yeah. And you, and you watch their eyes like oh, cartoonishly pop out of their skulls. Like bulge, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Dude, Django <laughs> dropped a turd in one of my shoes like last year. <laughs> like he That's was like, game. yeah, like he's trying to get to the door and he starts to like squat and he dropped one like right in my sneaker. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Like a hole in one, like a javelin. Yeah. Did you uh did you give him a treat for that? Try to oh, reinforce yeah. that. Very happy for him. Yeah, have you thought about entering your dog into any uh like show dog competitions? Have you ever thought about how cool it would be to have a dog that was like that well trained? Uh no. <laughs> no, that's like a that's like a special breed of uh of person that does dog shows. Like Yeah. It's, yeah, it's specific. So. There, there's a yeah. something unique about people who love animals that much, where it, they they want to train them that well. Like the commitment it takes. So I like I, I've mentioned that I have a new dog. His name's Albus, and he's an idiot. He's just really, really dumb, and that's my excuse for just not being good at training a dog is that he's stupid. <laughs> But we've taken him to training. Like, well, my wife takes him to trainings on like Mondays. It's like a group trainings, mostly to like kind of socialize him with other dogs and like have him learn how to do stuff when there's like distractions present. Cause he's not too bad at the house, but it's when you introduce any new distractions that they just forget everything they've ever learned. And it's, oh, yeah. And he's a boxer mix. So all he does is just like, put, like, just paw everyone and everything. It's really frustrating. So trying to like deal with that has been, I don't know, it, it's, it's not fun. Training a dog is like the, is the least fun thing you can do. So when people like devote their lives to it and love it, it's like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what 
kind of a person you have to be like to, to want to spend that much. I, I mean, there's something super rewarding about it. Like if you go out in public, like when you, whenever you see a really well-trained dog, you, you look at the person who owns that dog and you just have so much respect for them. <laughs> and then when you, <laughs> I don't know how you, you do it. When you see a dog who's a total asshole, you look at the owner and you're like, I don't think you kind of suck. Maybe you shouldn't own dogs. And I don't know. I, I feel like I probably am more on that side for sure. That the, you shouldn't own a dog side. I, I, when you when you default to spending a bunch of money to fence in a portion of your yard so you can just let your dog out, I'm pretty sure you've resigned to being that kind of a person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we tried to take our first dog, Tucker, who's an English setter, and he had bird dog energy times 12. Yeah. Like he just never stopped. He would run until he literally just passed out on his feet. And when he was a puppy, you know, he was a lot to handle in the house. And so we decided to take one of those courses. So I went and paid for it. You know, we, we were going to go to this puppy training course and stuff at a local pet store. And we got to the place and first of all, the, the class was terrible. Like the lady that was teaching it, her dogs were awful. Really? Like they just barked and screeched the whole time. Like they knew how to get a treat out of her. Like they'd sit for a second and then they get a treat and then they go right back to barking in the cage. I mean, it was a, it was just not good. That's but weird. There's probably like 10 other people or couples in the class with their puppy, you know, and most of them are like, it's like a chubby little lab puppy or like a little tiny toy dog or something like that. And they, you know, they would give them like a couple of seconds to get to like sniff each other and stuff. So they're like, all right, if everybody wants to like, let your dog just kind of wander and meet some of the other puppies, you know? And so it's like all these chubby little lab puppies and stuff. And they're all kind of like waddling over to each other and sniffing each other and stuff like that, wagging their tail. And then, I let Tucker off and he's just like running laps around the, the place. Just like, ah! <laughs> and he keeps like running into other dogs and just like, just sends them rolling. I mean, he, he was just out of control. Like it was embarrassing. Like he was making a scene in this class, but oh he was, oh man, he was funny. That's so funny, man. That person who's, that is, who does the trainings at the, the place that we're going to is like, she has her dogs there as an example. And my wife is like, they're perfect. It's literally like, they don't do anything unless she tells them to. It's like, if she says sit, they won't move until she tells them to break. They just sit and look at her. I don't know how they do That's, that, but it's incredible. I, and, and she, I, I guess like she got into it because like she ended up like, she ended up getting a dog at one point that was like vicious and would try to attack people who would come to the house, whatever. And she like really like dedicated herself to figure out how to like effectively train a dog. And, and that dog ended up being one of those great ass dogs too, that just did whatever she said. And I'm just like, Holy cow. Like apparently it, it's weird to think that apparently you can make any dog a good dog. It's like, I feel like I look at some dogs and I'm like, I don't know. I think all like intelligence was bred out of you. I don't know. Five generations ago, maybe. 
I'm blown away that dogs don't all die before they're six months old. Like when we got this dog, the amount of shit this fucking thing ate. And you're like, like you came from an animal that lives outside on its own. And you have the survival instincts of a two month old baby. Yeah. I know self-preservation skills whatsoever. No, they're like, this rock looks delicious. I'll eat that. (laughs) Maybe choke it (laughs) up. Maybe pass it. I don't know. <laughs> it's literally like screamed quite a few times in the past like month or so. Like, Django, stop eating dirt. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, my God. It is funny how it's like a very, it's like an archetype. It's one of those things that that has like an archetypal person for it. Like the, the dog show person is an archetype. Uh, the The horse person is kind of an archetype. Like everybody's got that one friend that's like really into RC planes. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand. (laughs) Like the, the guy that, you know, that owns like 30 Miatas. Like I, what you, there's other cars, like there's better cars. He's just like, bought another Miata. See my friend, my friend like that, he is the model or the RC guy and the Miata guy. He's all wrapped up into one. So he's a he's a quirky fella. <laughs> but the best. Just the best dude. I don't know which one I am. I don't know if I'm like good enough at anything to be like an archetypal character like that. Yeah. I, I mean you at least have the um that that I'll give it a shot personality. You're the I'll give it a shot guy. I mean, yeah. Like my 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 MO is to get into something enough to spend a whole bunch of money buying all the gear and then try it like once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you've done that ever... with camping like three times. There were, okay, I don't know if you experienced this in in Christian school. Uh but were there out? Were there ever like proliferating hobbies amongst like your Christian circle that like so many kids were just like into? I'm trying to think because I know what you mean. Like when I was still in public school, like real young, I think second grade was the year when it was big. Like Goosebumps books, Goosebumps books were like currency, and like oh, yeah. whoever had the most Goosebumps books was like the king of class for, for the time being. Uh, certain ones were more yeah. valuable than others. Like if they had a cool cover or something, like I don't think anybody ever read them. They were just like collecting them. It was like, <laughs> this is pre-Bitcoin. So that's what people did, you know? <laughs> that, was, that was the original <laughs> cryptocurrency. I remember like people would bring their, their collection of Goosebumps books to school every day and they would stack them on their desk. And like, of course, there was the one kid that his parents bought him like every new one that came out. And so eventually they made us stop doing that because his desk was just covered in Goosebumps books. And he kind of screwed me over on a trade once we were trying to I was trying to like work my way into something better. Right. So I had like uh, Say Cheese and Die and Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. I was going to trade him that for uh, Night of the (laughs) Werewolf. And he said he would do it. 
and he handed it to me. And then like an hour later, he went back on the trade and I got so mad. This is like the only time I've ever punched somebody. Do you want to dox that kid? Let's dox him right now. (laughs) (laughs) What's his name? First and last. You know, maybe not. Maybe not. (laughs) I have to, you know, uh, I have to trust that uh, that God paid him back, you know, tenfold over the years. (laughs) Yeah. Not my will, but thine be done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was what was yours? Like, what was the. uh... One of the ones that sticks out to me, first of all. Goosebumps books. Do I want to jump into this right now? Before I get into it, yeah. So I never read Goosebumps, and because I don't, I, I don't. I remember being in like second grade, and kids getting into it, uh, maybe like third grade. But I also that it was after second grade that I started being, being homeschooled. So, you know, I didn't really have any connection to Goosebumps anymore. But I remember not like wanting to kind of read it, but also like my family, like my parents not thinking they were like great for kids or whatever, but it was always a gray area. Yeah. Oh yeah. That goosebumps (laughs) was a gray area for sure. But then, um, but I, I always associate goosebumps to the show. Are you afraid of the dark? Were you, did you watch that? Were you allowed to watch that? See, I watched it once. I got real panicky when I watched like scary things and then I couldn't sleep for like three weeks, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. If it if it's possible that my mom didn't want us watching that simply because I was maybe like that, but my brother wasn't, so maybe that wasn't the reason. But it was just like sometimes like darker, creepy, evil stuff, and they weren't into that. But man, I remember thinking, "Are Are you afraid of the dark?" Was like was just so cool. But there's a few episodes that like really burned into my mind that of like I I legitimately found it very creepy at the time and it's uh, to the point where i mean yeah it's still so I, I bet if i rewatched it it would feel like just so campy and dumb but oh, i wonder yeah. if that's on netflix i wonder if i can find maybe I, I wouldn't mind kind of revisiting are you afraid of the dark uh, at this point maybe my sister got me like the full box set of uh goosebumps tv show you know like a couple years ago for christmas or something I don't even remember what channel it was on, but I tried to watch some of it and it's, oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's, it's really terrible. <laughs> a lot of those, like, a lot of, because Are You For The Dark was Nickelodeon and there was a lot of, like, those live action Nickelodeon shows at the time that, like, were so strange. There, Nickelodeon had its heyday. The, what, we'll get into that later. I don't, I feel like we could just do this whole thing on Nickelodeon shows, like, that were... Fairly life changing, like Secret World of Alex Mack, Pete and Pete, yeah. Salute Your Shorts, just run down the list. I don't, all that, I a, yeah, all that was like SNL for kids. It was so good, and Keenan went so from good. that to SNL. So good job, Keenan Thompson. Um, but anyway, so a whole hobby thing for for me, it was like the it was one of the few things that I tried to get into in high school, but it, it was pretty prevalent and are popular amongst i feel like a home the homeschool group of boys was paintball and oh yeah 
that was such like a and it could have branched out further than that. I know paintball was just like a big deal for a while, but I felt like most of the people I knew it disproportionately like homeschooled kids favored paintball. And I, some of that went along with like this weird, also like pseudo like military love that like these homeschooled kids, like they liked camo and playing army and shit like that. I feel like, that's like what you would do that when you were younger. But then like some of these homeschooled kids were like, you know, you're like 13 years old now and you don't have to run around the church holding sticks, pretending to shoot each other. You might be yeah. a little old for that. <laughs> just, just, uh, we thought you'd age out of this. By yeah. now. <laughs> but you haven't. Uh, so it, it's a little weird. So then like those kids got into paintball. And I remember like being, I was terrible at that too. Like I wasn't everything that I tried. I was, I, I don't recall ever having a game of paintball where I was like, not the first one out. <laughs> paintball was fun though. That was like something, it was too expensive. That was the problem is like, yeah, it was it, too it much money there. to get the gear and all that. Yeah. But, especially for like getting into it in an age where you weren't eligible for employment. Yeah. We went. We did paintball last year at my buddy Jesse's bachelor party, and uh, it was me and him and one of his buddies that came up from Arizona. We met in Denver, and we went to this indoor paintball place. And we were by ourselves. You know, everybody there is there with a group, so they're playing games with it themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. We're just a threesome, so we're trying to jump onto other people's games, which it was fun. We had a good time, but at one point, like the group we were playing with left. And we were trying to figure out who we were going to play, right? So right about that time, this whole group of kids came in. I mean, it was like a dozen 10 to 12-year-olds. They, yeah. were, they were there for a birthday party. <laughs> and so we went up to them and we're like, hey, have you guys been in yet? And they're like, no, we're, we just got our gear and stuff. We're like, well, do you want to play? And they're like, uh, I don't know. So we, why don't we do us three Versus all of you guys. How about that? You want to do that? They're like, just the three of you? We're like, yeah. And they're like, okay. So, you know, if you're if you're just freshly in there, like you're scared of getting hit. So you're not exactly like moving around much and stuff. Yeah. So those things hurt. We, I mean, that's not, it's not nothing to get hit by those. No, they sting. That's part of why I suck at paintball is I'm always worried about getting hit. <laughs> But Jesse and I like go up to this bunker and all of these kids are congregated behind this one like barrier thing. And it's got about a eight to 12 inch gap underneath it. So you can see all their feet underneath there. You know exactly where they're at. So Jesse and I prop up at this barrier. They're all standing back there. So we just start like lighting <laughs> up their feet. And the other kid jogs around the edge and pops out. And they're all just standing there like, what? <laughs> and he like, he unloaded like 50 rounds on them. They wouldn't play us ever again after that. It was, it was probably a little sadistic, but it was funny. That's amazing. Nothing like fucking up a group of 12 year olds with paintballs. <laughs> this is uh, for crying at Target. Yeah. <laughs> so our guest this week is a young lady named Jenna reached out to us on Facebook, told us a little bit about her upbringing, and we had to hear more. 
if you grew up in the church and you had missionaries and other people that were kind of coming through from time to time, making presentations, you'd have couples that stopped in for a while and then they would be gone. There was a few of those people in my day that I remember thinking something is not right about this person. Something is off about their story. Right? I don't think that this person is an honest is is representing themselves uh, in a in a factual way. Well, Jenna grew up with a father who was very much that type of character, kind of like the Bernie Madoff of Christendom. So we loved hearing from her. Uh, her story is fascinating, and I think you're going to love it. So enjoy our conversation with Jenna. And we're back with Jenna. Jenna, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Uh, we connected uh, through Facebook, right? You reached out and, you know, just kind of told us a, that, you know, you could relate a lot to the show and had a, a unique story. And after kind of teasing us a little bit with it, we were like, man, uh, we, we got to hear the, the details of this. Yeah, it seemed uh, pretty... Uh... Pretty unique. I mean, everyone who grew up Christian feels like their story is slightly unique. Uh, but hearing yours, it was like, okay, this is um, uh, not exactly par for the course. And we were very intrigued. So here uh, here you are. Yeah. Well, I think everybody has some evangelical baggage, right? I think I have a cargo ship and it's odd. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> well, can, tell us a little bit about like uh, early life. Um, you know, how you grew up, where you were from, some of that type of thing. Yeah, well, we were, like I said, we were nomadic. My my dad was a Christian con man. To put, I mean, if, if you had to read the title on like LinkedIn, like, you know, when people ask me, what does your dad do? I'm like, I mean, really, if you think I, he was a Christian con man, um, he was a broker that, um, and we went to different churches and my dad would con money investments and steal them from church people. Um so that's kind of that's kind of how we got by. That's how I grew up. Um, I kind of grew up in this dark myth of the Christian circle, and yeah, my dad became a wanted man, a wanted man by congregations, by police officers, by private investigators, and so we were on the run for most of my life, living under fake names, squatting at different houses, and stealing money. From the congregation, and like I'm not talking about like hands in the tithing bowl. I'm talking about like thousands of dollars funneled through my dad's fingers. Tithing bowl—that's that's, that's <laughs> oh child's <God>. play. <laughs> so he was kind of like a uh, John the Baptist meets Bernie Madoff. <laughs> totally, yes, yes, um, yeah. I mean, and he he hid behind his Christian faith pretty well. I mean, who doesn't trust a broker that's a Christian? You know, oh. This is this guy's a Christian. We can trust him with twenty thousand um, dollars. So we bounced from church to church. I say we, but uh, my mom and sister and I were kind of just, you know, kind of in the wake of this fuck show and disaster. So we were just along for the ride, and um, we moved to seven states. I've had a few different last names, and uh, I have a lot of Christians who still hate me to this day. <laughs> Wow. So you kind of wore the mantle for your dad. Yeah, that's so wild. I have a million questions. So, Oh, sure. I've got a million answers for you. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you're going from, I mean, church to church. Um, is your, is your mom like, does she understand what's going on? Is this like the family business? This is not a family business. We, like I said, we were kind of in the wake of a disaster. This was totally my dad's operation. And he was, he was great at, it. he was charming. He was handsome. Um, and you know, he'd go from piety to piracy in like the flip of a dime. He was really good at playing the Christian role. Um, you know, and, and he was your typical Christian dad. He loved Rush Limbaugh. Um, he loved Rush. You know, he loved being a Republican. <laughs> All those good things. But he also, yeah, you know, he was your quiz essential on the exterior, your quiz essential Christian dad during the nineties. You know, I, gosh, I still hear Rush Limbaugh's. Oh, well, I don't hear Rush Limbaugh's voice anymore, but when I hear it, it makes me cringe. Um, but yeah, so he was your typical dad other than on the flip side, he had, a, he had a dual life. You know, we were living in hotels, living in vans, um, cause we were on the run. We would go camping for vacation, but really we were kind of hiding out from the cops and he was just a wanted man. <laughs> but, 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 but you know what though? Like a good Christian family, I was homeschooled. It was the perfect, it was the perfect picture to paint for people. Cause if I was homeschooled. Nobody could find us because if you go into a public system, public school system with you puppy kids, um, that puts you on the radar. So as a con family, you got to lay way low and homeschool was the perfect place for a con family to hide out and stay under the radar. When did this get started? I mean, is this like from your earliest years? Was he doing this or is this something that he kind of drifted into as you got older? (laughs) So I had to confirm some of the details with my mom because my dad is something of evangelical community legend. <laughs> he is really an, a known figure where, where I come from. Um, so a lot of these stories are legendary, but I'm like, man, I got to talk to my mom and confirm some of these details because these things are just crazy. But then she confirmed these crazy details are true. And, and this is my life. Um, so he was a successful broker. From early on, my parents met at Moody Bible Institute out of all places. I don't, are you guys familiar Hello. with Moody Bible Institute? <laughs> Moody oh, Bridal yeah. Institute. I had lots of friends that went there. I tried going there. <laughs> I'm definitely not Moody Bible material. Um, that's why I had to go to Liberty. But um, so my parents met at Liberty, or I'm uh, sorry, Moody, and he became a broker and he was successful, but he got tied up with some people, mm, kind of, I would kind of, not mafia type figures, but probably people doing some, maybe some drug cartel type stuff. He kind of got involved with some shady dealings. And from there on out, he was never an honest man. So he went from Moody Bible to stealing cash. That's so fascinating. How, so I guess what I'm having, like the the connection that's tough for me to make is as a, as a Christian family, uh, obviously stealing is is on the, the short list of things that you don't do. So yeah, it's something you do don't you do. get. Yeah, do you get the impression that your that your dad authentically believed, like almost like this built up of cognitive dissonance? Where like, did he actually believe in the Christian narrative, the evangelical story, and then also make a living stealing from the churches that he would go to? Like, I, 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 yeah, I, wow, that's an interesting connection that I'm having a hard time piecing together. I, I have thought about that the past couple of days, just thinking about, you know, talking to you guys, was he an authentic Christian that got involved in some shady shit or did he use the Christian narrative to lure people? Because 
you know how it is. Oh, you would like them. They're Christian. Oh, you can trust that family. They're Christians. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's the perfect mask to wear. So actually, I haven't seen him in 20 years. He's he's on the run. He's hiding. But I've I've had this question many times with myself. Like, I think he might have he might have been a Christian. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I am either. So we're in good company. But um, I don't know. I don't know if he just hid behind that mask just to better take advantage of people. Because there's a, you know, Christians can be a vulnerable population. And again, if, if you've got a stockbroker looking to help you invest thousands of dollars, who better to do it than a man who loves the Lord? (laughs) So, I mean, so I, I imagine, you know, I I don't want to throw, throw names on things that are not very nice, but I imagine he's probably a bit of a a sociopath to some extent, like, really believe i mean i think those two aren't mutually exclusive like you know if you talk to a lot of your traditional psychopaths you know serial killers are being the most extreme example but a lot of them i mean they can have those parallel beliefs you know they can they can truly 100 percent consider themselves a part of the flock while still you know really just looking past their own actions while they take advantage of the people that they're that they're profiting from I think sociopathic is the perfect um, description. To, I mean, I think narcissistic. I definitely, I mean, he had uh, a, a deep mental health issue that just spiraled into criminal activity. But at the same time, he claimed to love the Lord. So as we lived this evangelical life of, you know, being at church every Sunday, going to home, you know, being homeschooled, going to Awana's, you know, all those things, all those things we kept up front were really a facade um, just so we could have this, this, this dark life of, I mean, I don't think my dad ever worked an honest day in his life. He only lived on the dime of others. He only lived on stolen investments. I don't, and anytime he, and he was employed a couple of times, but he went to jail for embezzlement. He went to prison. So. Wow. So he no was getting his employers went, when <laughs> he wasn't. Oh, when he, when he couldn't get family members, uh, you know, anybody from the congregation, if he couldn't pickpocket the person in the pew next to him, he was moving on to bigger ventures. Now, I imagine like a big part of this is building trust with the congregation. So it's got to take some time, right? Before people just surrender their, their investments oh, to him. For sure. I mean, he did this in his hometown. I mean, he started these operations in his own hometown and, you know, starting investments, luring, you know, kind of holy rollers, we should say, Christians with money, um, people that had a lot of money and looking to do investments. But then once he would burn bridges, people would find out, hey, this dude's a con artist. We would bounce. We would move. Um, and we would find another place to, to go scam the next church, the next, you know, the next, next pews. <laughs> do you think that, that you guys were, you and your your the rest of the family was sort of like window dressing for the con. Like he, he used your guys's, you guys oh. were kind of like unwilling participants in the, in the image that he was portraying. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, but I grew up feeling like I was a Christian. That's what makes my like adult life. So confusing later on is I grew up believing in the Bible. I remember hearing about the lake of fire and having nightmares for months. I believed it, <laughs> you know, 
I, I said the I remember saying the prayer. Nobody wants to be, you know, cast out in the lake of fire. You want to make sure your name is secure in the book of life. So I remember those things. And <laughs> I mean, I remember going to Awana and thinking it was, I mean, as a homeschooler, Awana is the pinnacle of your your social existence once a week. Um, I, I believed all that stuff, you know, even though it might have been a facade. I was a kid, I'm malleable. I went right along with it. I mean, I love DC talk just as much as the next Christian. <laughs> yes. Now yeah, we're it's talking. almost like for you, it was part of your, like, uh, I mean, without you knowing exactly what was going on or having much of an explanation for why you'd bounce from one church to the next. Uh, I mean, that's the message you're getting and you don't have any reason to, to doubt it. So you just kind of, kind of right. just mold in and, and fit in with, you know, exactly what it is that you're being taught. Uh, one of the things that you said is that you, you mentioned that your dad did in fact end up going to jail, but that you haven't seen him in 20 years and that he's kind of on the run now. I kind of want to build a little bit of a time frame on your kind of earliest memories, shit, like church hopping as well, as you now know, was your dad uh, getting caught, uh, you know, stealing from these churches. But then uh, at what point in your life it became apparent to you and 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 when it became more of a, when your dad ended up kind of getting caught or getting in trouble for it i mean i from an early stage i kind of knew there's there's something fucked up here <laughs> i mean yeah. it doesn't take I, I wasn't very old when i kind of i kind of started i remember telling well he used to tell people he had this idea of grandeur so obviously this is a deep mental health issue he used to tell people we had a house in monte carlo so i had to tell my friends that i lived in europe actually, and that we lived, we had millions of dollars in Monte Carlo, and he was on the run from the FBI. That was one of his paths to income to lure people at the church. He would tell them he was, you know, made too much money and his assets were frozen, you know, offshore bank account type shit, kind of con man 101. Um, (laughs) I mean, if you wrote, I mean, it's basic common sense, right? (laughs) That's, that's a pretty common con man, uh, path he would take. The other one he would use is that, you know, here's my family. We don't have any money. Can you give us money? So there was that avenue. He kind of rotated his different avenues of how he lured people. Um, and usually we're at the forefront of that. You, we, he usually dangled us in front of people like, hey, I got these kids. My assets are frozen. Um, you know, we have millions of dollars. I can pay you later. And, and he used, I mean, I don't know how we, he came off with some of this stuff, but he actually got a lot of people to believe, even myself, that he was this he was synonymous with success. I mean, he's kind of Trumpian, really. Um, everything he wow. did had wow. to be um, successful. And so that's why he had this like kind of grandeur painted picture. We were this wealthy family that happened to be living in a van and church hopping. Um, and we just couldn't get back home to our, you know, our, our mansion. So he stole money trying to get back to this dream that never existed. That's clever. That's it's, a- it's super clever. And, and he was a dashing dude. I mean also was a sick son of a bitch, but you know, he was charming enough that people believed it, you know? And I remember, I remember early on, probably eight or nine when I would make friends at the church, you stay long enough. You make some friends at Awana as you make friends at youth group. I remember when he would start talking to the parents of my friends, I would be, I knew that those friends would disappear. People weren't allowed to come over to our house. People weren't allowed to talk to me. People at the church would not want to talk to me because they would start to figure out, okay, this guy's a con man. The, 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 this is not a wealthy family, you know, that's just had this really unfortunate frozen asset. This is a family on the run. This is, this is a con operation. 
And once that got figured out, I would lose friends. And I was already homeschooled. I had a lot. I didn't have very many friends. So to lose my one social outlet on Wednesday night slash Sunday morning really blew. Um, And I remember at a young age, I'd say, hey, can you not talk to such and such parents? That's my friend. Because I knew that once he started talking, we would have to move or those friends would disappear or I would no longer to be part of their their social circle. So you guys were part of the part of the con in a way, but you were also a kind of a liability. He had to keep you kind of separated Absolutely. from everybody. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I kind of started figuring out, okay, there's something off here. Dad doesn't go to work. You know, he, he was home all the time on the phone. And I mean, I, and I, he had some very compelling stories early on that when he was a broker, he got involved with some bad guys whether they were involved in drugs. We're not sure of all the details that he was shot at. He used to carry around a gun saying that he had to protect us from the bad guys. To this day, I don't know who those, I I don't know who those bad guys are, but I know he was always packing heat ready to protect us from the bad guys. What, what was reality and what wasn't, I have no clue. It makes you wonder if in some way he had lost touch with what was true as well. Like, if you, if you, as you live like this, like pretend life for so long and you have to keep your story straight, like even when you recognize, I mean, I don't know, I'm not trying to offer necessarily grace where you might not, but just thinking about it from someone who has no involvement in the story at all. It's like, <laughs> it's like when you tell a lie and you just have to like keep that shit going because if it's like too much work to. Like, you don't even know what's worse. It's like, it sucks to keep it going, but it, it would also be terrible to try to just come clean at that point. So you just roll with oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I, I just, I, you wonder at what point did he ever believe any of the stories that he told? Uh, or was it always just covering up one lie with the next? That's interesting. I, it was, you know, it was a pretty consistent story, you know, from, I mean, I lived with him from, you know, the time I was born until I was 17. So, you know, I had 17 years of just these you know, well, I, 17 years of PTSD, but you know, just this crazy, this crazy shit storm I watched my whole life. And I think he lied so much that he disbelieved it. And it was the same story. I'll give him one thing. He kind of had the same story constantly about being this successful man that could just never get to his money. And so Christians bought it time and time again, giving him money because when you're a Christian, if you say you're a Christian, that's like the, that's like your free pass. Like you're a good person if you're a Christian. That's why to this day when people are like, oh, Jenna, you should talk this. You would like them. They're Christians. I'm like, uh-uh, that doesn't mean shit to me. <laughs> Just I, I, we, I care more about who you are. I don't care about your religious construct. I care about who you are as a person. But I think in the church, we're too trusting of Christians. Oh, they're Christian? They're obviously a good person. Well, in this case, that's not always true. I, they might be the person this, you shouldn't uh, trust. I've seen it. I see it around from time to time. Uh, there's this like truck that I used to pass on the highway and I believe it was called, I think the business was like Christian carpenters or something like that. <laughs> and it always made me laugh every time I would look at it. Cause you're like, I, I don't doubt for a second that they are Christians. Uh, right. But at the same time they're using it because it's like, Oh, people will trust us. And, I have the same feeling that you do. It's like I yeah. instinctively do not care about ever get, even allowing them to quote me on anything. 
That's no, yeah, dude. No. I have an instinctive distrust of anyone who markets themselves as religious in a way. And like it's it's kind of like maybe I've met more narcissists and psychopaths over the years being in sales. I mean, I've like the best people I know I've met through sales, right? But then I've also met a handful of people that are like just they're just liars and they're always looking out for number one at the expense of whoever else is around. But whenever somebody like makes a point of telling you how honest they are, like that's a red flag. Dude, one thing you got to know sure. about me is that, uh, you know, I, I just, my integrity just will not let me do those kind of things. And I won't sell this <laughs> or that, you know, if I don't think it's actually true. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm as honest as the day is long and you're like, okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, when I feel the same thing. Like when you market yourself as a Christian, you know, it's like, didn't you, didn't you read the Bible at all? Like you're, it's by, it's by, it's by your work, not your words, you know? So when you see something like, I don't know, when I see like a business that has John three sixteen on it, I'm like, okay, I don't know. I, I kind of judge a bit. <laughs> now, did you guys, so, so you're relocating periodically when the heat gets too hot. Did did you ever actually like witness like confrontation, like somebody all of a sudden like putting the pieces together and coming to your door? Oh, yes. I mean, we used to have to hide out. Like so, for example, I mean, to show you the frequency of conning that my dad did, we lived in seven states and I've lost track of how many times I moved. I stopped counting at 62. I have tried writing, and this doesn't count hotels, houses. We I, I always say squatting because I'm not sure if we actually <laughs> were really renting a house or if we were borrowing it. But actual residencies were 60, over 60. Um, so, yeah, we were on the run a lot because there would be people that would come to our door. Whoa. There, You know, when we would come home at night, like, and I remember this as young as six years old. We would live with my grandparents from time to time because it was a good hideout place. And my dad would have us duck and hide. And we would have to put boxes over our heads so we weren't seen in the car. Wow. Jeez. I mean, and we had people from church. I mean, I, and, and, you know, as I got older, too, I had people confront me all the time at church. Like, your dad did this. Your dad did this. Because, and, and I still went to that church. I was still trying to be kind of a good Christian kid. I was, you know, not only was I trying to portray that role, I kind of, at the time, wanted to be it because I, that's all I knew. So I would have people confront me at church pretty often, telling me how bad, you know, my dad screwed them over. I'm like, yeah, try, try walking in my shoes. I hear you. <laughs> did, he, did he use that to get other things? Or was it mostly just money or did he... Did he use that to get a living arrangement or a, a vehicle oh, or anything like that? Abs oh, absolutely. Any any kind of in-kind donation. I mean, yeah, we survived on the, like I said, the dime of others. You know, it's pretty much straight out the tithing pool. But, um, I mean, yes, we had lived, like, I remember one summer, when actually how I ended up in Michigan, is we went to a, a Christian camp. It was kind of like a resort for Christians. Um, it was like for really the Holy Rollers, like wealthy Christians uh, vac vacate to this place in Michigan. And we ended up kind of chumming up with a really wealthy Christian family that hung out there. We were living in Illinois at the time. We went on summer vacation at this really fancy resort. And we, I, we lived there for over a year and never paid for it. 
um, because my dad had conned one of their directors into funding our full stay um, and, and promised that we would pay it back or, you know, assets were frozen, whatever. But we ended up living at this really posh. We've, we've had a couple places where we stay that were pretty fancy. I mean, my mom always had a Rolex. She had nice, you know, nice purses, nice things like that. So I'm not sure where all these items came from, but we were living the life. I mean, you can't just look, <laughs> you can't just act the role. You have to look at your kids have to dress nice. We wore nice Ralph Lauren clothes and all those things. We might have slept in a van at the end of the night, but damn it, we looked nice. Yeah. Is it okay to ask like which, where the resort was or what it's called? Um, you know, yeah, I don't care. It's Maranatha. I mean, if you're in Michigan, you're probably familiar with it. Oh, okay. I'm going to look this up right now. Yeah. So it is, I mean, it's, I say it's a camp, but it is where like Mercedes roll in. It's right on Lake Michigan. I mean, it is for, it is for the poshest of people, but that's a, and um, that's a perfect place for someone like my dad to chum up with people. (laughs) The continuation of like that, that the assets are frozen story. I'm like, I don't even know how you, the amount of charm you have to have to pull that off must be unbelievable. Mm. I don't I mean, think, it was fairly like, I don't even know how you would attempt to t- sell that story. Right. I know. I, and he, and he was, he was charming as hell, but after, before we moved to Michigan to make sure people, he actually tried faking his own death. He sent flowers to three or four churches within the Midwest area where he had scammed people. Because again, people were looking for us. My dad owed them a lot of money. Police officers were looking for my dad, uh, private investigators. So he decided that some of the churches he had scammed the most, where he owed the most money and where he was wanted the most, he sent bouquets of flowers in memoriam to himself saying that he had died so that people would no longer haunt him. (laughs) So, I mean, he really wanted people to think he was dead. (laughs) And I remember my mom tells this story so casually. She was like, somebody called her and said, hey, Donna, we heard Joel died. And she's like, ah, he's a con man. You should know one thing. Uh, You should know this is his biggest con of all. And they're like, why? And she's like, nobody would send that son of a bitch flowers. (laughs) So, yeah, he used to send flowers to him. Just so they think he was dead. So you, st- so at, I think you said around 17 is when you, you stopped, like you kind of, I don't know, parted ways with your dad. Uh, up until that point, what do you recall of your parents' relationship um, and their interactions? I- I'm curious as to know that because obviously if he is a, a total charlatan or whatever, uh, that he would that that might cause some problems and that you maybe have witnessed some arguments or, I mean, that must create a lot of stress or at least somewhat of a stressful environment, right? Oh, it was, I mean, a superstar. I mean, not only were we constantly on the run, but yeah, my parents obviously didn't have a healthy relationship. My mom was trapped. Um, I mean, and actually she just told me a really terrible story today about it, but um, she, yeah, she couldn't, she couldn't get away with him. If, you know, he had a gun in his glove compartment and he always threatened her, if you leave, you'll never see your kids again, and threatened to kill her too, like good Christian men do. Um, so he, you know, you don't get divorced. And he wow. always told us, I remember, this is so crazy. I remember thinking, okay, here my parents are in this terrible marriage. My mom is abused, you know, she's married to this con man. And I remember we weren't allowed to watch Mrs. Doubtfire because it had divorce in it. 
we were never allowed to watch things that talked about the virus. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> so that's, that's some like, programming remember, right there. <laughs> like, I mean, because in the Bible, you know, it says divorce is wrong. But also, my mom wasn't allowed to divorce my dad. You know, he, he was he was a psychopath. But yeah, I remember watching Mrs. Doubtfire when I got older. I'm like, what's wrong with this? But it was because it had divorce in it. We were pretty um, shielded from things, just like normal Christian families, though. We would read reviews about movies and stuff like that, and we weren't allowed to go near them. My parents always had to read, like, the lyric booklets and things like that before we could have CDs and stuff like that. But particularly divorce was a hot topic in our house. If the show had, you know, divorce in it, that's not biblical. We can steal money, but we cannot talk about divorce. <laughs> Dude, uh, Hoffmaster State Park. Oh, God, I love it there. I go hiking there all the time. I'm like 30 <laughs> minutes from there. Yeah, that's right. I I stayed there uh, at Maranatha or at Hoffmaster. At at Hoffmaster, yeah. Okay. So we okay. stayed at yeah. Hoffmaster, and we we worked at a uh, a missionary supply depot. It was it was weird. It was like we went there during the that day and we helped them like sort inventory and stuff like that. Yeah, it was like a summer camp type deal that we did for a week with like a local deadbeat that was around our church and just leached money off of them. And uh, I know that it was just a weird trip. It was fun, but bizarre. <laughs> oh, for sure. And you're right down the road from Maranatha. I'm not surprised by all those entanglements on that location. <laughs> I remember him getting really angry that we wouldn't like cry during the... Uh, like he would sing songs at night and like want us to do like a praise and prayer ceremony. There's like four <laughs> people there. And he was like really upset that we wouldn't like break down and cry and share our feelings. I mean, he, he got visibly agitated one night and kind of laid into us. And I'm like, this is so weird, man. I wish I wouldn't have come. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to sit around the campfire, sing Kumbaya and get a little misty. Come on, play the part. <laughs> So, uh, your, your mom splits from your dad, uh, you go to the camp, you're having some trouble, you know, run into some issues there and then college starts. So you didn't go straight to Liberty. Am I, am I correct? No, I, like I said, I took my wounded soul. So I, I needed a Christian education. You know, I, that's kind of what I was brought up to believe that I need to go to Christian college. You know, you gotta, you gotta go to Christian college and get your MRS. Do you guys know what that is? Your dude. So you gotta get oh, your yeah. message. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We you took to part. <laughs> you go to Moody Bridal Institute or Bridal, not Bible, Bridal Institute, or you, you know, you go to Trinity or Liberty and you got to find a good Christian dude. You know, and that was, when I, I was in the market for that. So you got to go to Christian college. I went to Trinity, which actually was really cool. But then I went to, I signed up, I got sold on Liberty online. So I went there for Christian counseling. Um, that was what my degree is in. Yep. Totally. So how big of a role did DC Talk play in your cho choice of liberty? Oh, huge, huge talk. <laughs> I'm a Jesus freak. Come on. <laughs> is Jesus Freak your favorite album? Oh, uh, yes, it is. My first concert experience was DC Talk. Um, and just a couple years ago, on a side note, um, I was at Costco here in Michigan. And one of the guys from DC Talk is from Grand Rapids. Uh, right here in Michigan. So I was like, all of a sudden I look over at Costco and I run into Kevin Max from DC Talk. This was three years ago. Wow. <laughs> and my youth group girl knees were like shaking. 
I literally <laughs> ran up to him and pretty much attacked him with a giant cart full of like organic, you know, tortilla chips. <laughs> it was so exciting. This was, I mean, this was only like five years ago. I was pretty Dude. fucking stoked to meet him. I like literally ran him down have, with my cart. My wife and I have talked about like Kevin Max. His voice is incredible. He has a crazy so range. I wish he would have stuck with like heavier music because yeah. his choice of music after DC Talk was just so boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His solo stuff's a bit bleak, but <laughs> I can't stray away from Christian music. I still love them. I love Audio Adrenaline, DC Talk, all that stuff. <laughs> can't help it. <laughs> I feel like I missed the boat big time on a lot of those. I remember an audio Wait. adrenaline video from when I was in like middle school youth group. And that was probably the last time I ever heard them. Was it the big, big house one? Oh, I don't big, man. Big house. <laughs> Dude. The worst thing was like, we would go to my, my buddy, Jesse two timed my church. He had another youth group that he would go to certain nights and when we went to that youth group, they didn't have like anyone to play music at the at the youth group. So they would literally just put in a tape and we would sing along with it. And they sang Big Big House oh, as yeah. if it was a praise song. And I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember singing, remember Newsboys Breakfast? Do you remember that one? Yes. I went to something called Acquire the Fire and got to hear yes! sing that live. <laughs> They don't serve breakfast in hell, y'all. They don't. Acquire they don't serve breakfast in hell. When the toast is burned and all the milk is churned. And Captain Crunch is waving farewell. These are these are amazing lyrics. Let's be real. I don't yeah. even know these. I mean, it's, it's audible fireworks for sure. What has the secular world given us in terms of music that compares? I mean, right. Kanye West? Give me a break. Yeah, yeah. Like... I, you know, I they talk about Little Nas being really controversial right now. I'm like, have you listened to the words to Breakfast by this boy? <laughs> They're talking about burning toes and burning in hell. <laughs> I'm a bit of a uh, controversial music connoisseur myself. Yeah, oh, and... me too. If it's sketchy, I'm going to check it out. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. So uh, so you you went to Liberty Online. No, So yeah. you weren't living on campus or anything like that. Did, were you... Where like were you doing that from Michigan or out of state? Then? Yeah, I was doing it from Michigan. I had a couple of friends that were actually on campus, got to be real students. I mean, I was homeschooled, so online school was no big thing to me. It was kind of secondhand. I mean, I feel like Liberty is just a collection of homeschooled weirdos, anyways. So, um, <laughs> I mean, but the curriculum. I remember, like, yeah, I'm studying Christian counseling, and I wanted to be a marriage counselor. I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm totally gonna go fix people. But their Christian counseling program was god-awful. I mean, it pretty much just told me, if you have anxiety, you need Jesus. So I wasted Hello. like 15 grand on just learning that I needed more Jesus. And then I ended up with a lot of student debt. Thanks, Jerry Fowell. Did you, <laughs> yeah, Jerry. That, uh, yeah, the Christian. I love the idea of Christian counseling. Uh, it's hilarious because it should just be, you know, counseling. But right. like... <sighs> I only knew a few people by proximity that did the Christian counseling degree. And I, even at that time in my life, when I was at Liberty, still just a good old evangelical boy, 
and I had some red flags about the idea of Christian counseling yeah. even then. And it's yeah. so the way that they would like, yeah, I mean, I guess even getting a Bible degree, some of the ways that they would teach you certain things and they would approach certain things. I'm sure there was some overlap with Bible classes and Christian counseling. And it is wild that that is a actual, I don't know. Do you get a license, like a account, like a, do you have to be a licensed counselor? Do you get, do you, is that the goal from like a Christian counseling degree? You get a crown in heaven. Dude. <laughs> yeah. <your> crown. <laughs> For sure. Um, but yeah, you get, you like your, you get your master's in counseling, but I, I decided I was a master's dropout. So I didn't end up finishing, but um, I think I learned enough about Christian counseling from Liberty just as a minor. So I didn't really pursue it further. <laughs> because too, like, even though I had, uh, I had some evangelical hooks in me when I went to Liberty, I remember being really freaked out about Christian counseling. I mean, I was, I was struggling with anxiety myself and I'm thinking this, this absolutely makes sense. I mean, it just really talked about it being a spiritual affliction. They didn't really believe in mental health. They thought if you had anxiety, it was a spiritual affliction. Wow. So you didn't need Prozac or anxiety or like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, things of science, you know, you just needed Jesus. And That's it really, and then even like the marital aspect of it was horrifying. It was a lot about submission to your husband. Oh. I was not, I was, oh, it was, it was puke worthy. It was terrible. I had to read this book You're called like, Respect. I've seen this go wrong. <laughs> yeah. I've seen this go real bad. Um, I'm guessing, yeah. I'm sure you've thought about this a lot yourself, but I'm, uh, I have to imagine your uh, deep dive into Christian counseling may, and, and even the marital aspect of it maybe had to do with some of the things you experienced as a kid. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, you know, I kind of thought like, I need to go out there and help people in this world. You know, I, I remember going to Liberty thinking I was going to change the world with the Christian counseling degree. Little did I know it would just leave me with like a slew of monthly payments. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of thought like this is an area where I need to help people. I think like I'd heal myself through healing others. Um, but the program was just horrifying. And I graduated there just bitter as hell about thinking this is how we take care of. And, and I realized this is how we take care of people in the evangelical circle. We, you know, we're not actually allowing them to have the reason of science and, you know, medication. We're, we're telling them they just need more Jesus. And it's yeah. like, okay, you can go to a cardiologist if your heart fails. You know, you can go to a dentist if you need a filling. But if you have mental health problems, you have to go to a pastor. It didn't really make sense to me. I've known some people who have had, who had issues. Uh, I, don't, I don't even want to get specific, but um, that ended up seeing and on staff at a semi-large evangelical church, uh, they had like their uh, like their staff Christian counselor. He graduated with a Christian yep. counseling degree, and it's like the idea that you even need a degree for that is frustrating because I, <laughs> not having a degree for that, could tell you every single thing they would try to tell you that you need to try before you even consider. Right. Uh, I mean, divorce is obviously off the table. Like you said, the whole, a whole right. lot of submission stuff. And you're just like, that, it, it, it was like sad. I felt sad when I found out that people were going to like the, that church's Christian counselor to try yeah. to deal with their marital problems. I was like, well, <laughs> this is going to turn into something awful. Fast. Nobody listens to a marriage counselor anyways. Yeah. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> I actually saw the church church counselor. Um, I think I actually wrote you about this story when I was having terrible anxiety. You know, here it is. I had like childhood PTSD. You know, you leave a traumatic childhood, you're going to have anxiety. You're going to have depression. Um, the church counselor came to see me because my mom knew I was struggling. So it must have been a spiritual affliction. Um, the church counselor came to me and told me it was demons <laughs> and that I had demons around me fighting for my soul and right. um, that it was spiritual warfare. And I had just gotten back from a missions trip from Cambodia. So she said that I brought back demons from Cambodia that needed to be cleansed from my room. <laughs> so here I am anxious as hell, jet lagged, and this crazy woman from my mom's Baptist church comes over and she takes a decorative bowl off my coffee table and cleanses my room with the blood of Christ. And then she had me burn everything I brought home from Cambodia because she said it was spiritual warfare. And then she burned all my Harry Potter books because what the hell? You just throw them <laughs> on in there. <laughs> we were having a bonfire. Why don't you Jeez. grab some marshmallows and roast some s'mores? Just to be safe. Get that Evanescence CD in there yeah. too. <laughs> what else can we do? Oh, I'm sure that <laughs> I'm pretty sure my Bush 16 stone CD actually ended up in there, which I was really bummed about. <laughs> it's because it said Bush. You can't, no Bush. It's because it said Bush. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> that was my one experience with a Christian counselor. She told me that I was demon possessed and that um, I just needed to burn. And she looked around my room to see what, where the demons were. So I, and then I also had to partake in washing my room with the imaginary blood of Christ. Do they sprinkle grape juice all over the fucking bedroom? <laughs> that stains. I'm sure it's just but water, you can't wasn't use it? Wine. There was nothing in it. We literally had to imagine that this Pier One decorative bowl was holding the blood of Christ. And if your imagination's good enough, Powerful. you can actually see the splatters. And oh. I bet that person would have had a problem with transubstantiation. Jesus. <laughs> so that was my one experience with Christian counseling, just to say it was traumatic and it didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it went really uh, poorly. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's pretty standard in the Baptist world. I feel like that's pretty, pretty standard, but I had to rebuy See? Harry Potter like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I still think about that woman who burned my Harry Potter books. <laughs> you owe me 70 bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you went to Cambodia on a missions trip? I went to Cambodia on a missions trip. I worked with, yeah, I, I, again, I kind of thought, this was going to be my life, you know, even though I had lived this kind of chaotic Christian life as a, as a child, I kind of wanted to be a missionary and help people, save people, you know, do the good Christian gig. And it's what I knew. It's what I knew best. So yeah, I went to Cambodia for uh, three weeks, you know, and worked with recovering prostitutes who were in the industry. Wow. That's a country with some serious history. Well, I thought it was, a, I was like, oh man, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to this godless nation. I'm going to save them all. <laughs> so I really kind of thought it was like this awesome opportunity. I mean, it was cool, but you know, from the Christian perspective, I kind of thought like I was a bit overzealous that I was going to be saving souls. So, yeah. So, so you, uh, at that point in your life, you were still trying to find, and I, I guess I don't exactly know where you're at now, but at that point you were still trying to find your meaning and connection to the world and through evangelical culture. So, you know, you try your Christian counseling was wait. So Cambodia being doing the missionary thing and seeing how that worked out. Was that after you graduated college? Was that yeah, it was, a, yeah, it was, it was kind of in the midst of some college. I think I took a break. Actually, I took a break from Trinity and then I went to Cambodia. And then after Cambodia, I went to Liberty. 
Okay. So it was kind of in the middle of my my college career and my path to Christian counseling. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like you were really just trying to figure out, I uh, kind of just make sense of all of it and figure out, you know, given the world that you were brought up in, how to make a difference and how to connect and how to, I mean, the, the, the amount that you internalize growing up in the evangelical world and, and how important it is to, to propagate that, that message that we were given it, it just sounds, yeah, it really sounds, I mean, between Christian counseling, missions work, after you kind of tried all that and you graduated college, kind of what happened after that when those things started to seem like they fell flat for you? So after that, I kind of felt really rejected by the Christian I was a little burned. I was a little bitter um, with the Christian community. So I did what every good Christian girl does. I married an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> Get him. Yeah. And I remember you were unequally yoked. God damn. Oh, oh, the, oh my gosh. You, you, even hearing that gets me PTSD. I literally pictured. So when I fell in love with an atheist, I pictured us as two yolks in a pan that we weren't able to like fry up. That verse always weirded me out. I always had this vision of eggs, you know, and I remember people. Okay. So I always remember my, my dad telling me, so when we weren't allowed to talk about divorce, my dad said that the reason that he, his marriage failed to my mom wasn't because he was stealing money it's because they had premarital sex he said that's the reason that's funny why my marriage failed i mean probably yeah he's like we had premarital sex that's why we failed i'm like oh so that's why you're a shit bag got it okay (laughs) and it was your mom's fault it was your mom's fault that (laughs) that whore um so that's pretty much what and so i grew up believing that so all of a sudden i fall in love with this atheist head over heels most amazing man ever he's a good dude. We've been married 10 years. And I'm like, why is this atheist more accepting of who I am with all my damage and baggage than any Christian I've ever met? But I remember I still, even though I was kind of traveling into this more agnostic realm, um, I still had those evangelical hooks in me. Yeah, They were still kind of on me, you know, they're tight. And when you take them off, Come to find out the breastplate breastplate of righteousness doesn't really protect you from a whole lot. (laughs) I still had wounds. You know, I thought doing all those Bible sword drills would protect me. I kind of thought those were like wielded weapons, but really they hurt me. Um, They didn't protect me for much. So I fell in love with this atheist. And I remember thinking, I'm not, I'm not evenly yoked. We're fucked, (laughs) but I'm falling, I'm falling head over heels with it. And this guy's amazing. Like, you know, it it didn't really, and I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to marry him. But we are going to fail because of that premarital thing. That's We're going to fail and we're unevenly yoked. It it took me years of being married and unraveling. I had to shed lizard skin to become who I am today. And I actually just told my mom today on the phone before I talked to you guys, I'm like, I'm kind of an agnostic. And I'm pretty sure it broke her heart a little bit. (laughs) This is not a fun conversation to have. No, you never want to tell your your mom. I mean... My mom's kind of a cocktail herself, but um, I'm pretty sure nobody thought I was ever a um, a pretty pious evangelical. I think I've always kind of been living that that lie as well. But it probably in the past couple of years, I finally said out loud, I think I'm an agnostic. It's interesting that um, your mom still feels, I don't know if it's interesting, but I, that your mom still feels a connection to it, like that they're out of all the times that she's been in churches and had to leave and, and all the shifting and 
and the lies. And I know I feel like that's so much to maintain to still feel at home or connected to it is that's that's notable to me. Yeah, she's still super bitter. Um, Of course, I mean, the evangelical church was always pretty harmful to all of us. Um, And the crazy thing is, though, even though I kind of identify, I kind of float between agnosticism and Christianity. I don't I haven't like fully jumped ship. I just go between two ships Um, and I kind of float back and forth. I mean, around Christmas time, I feel a little bit more bonded with Mary and Jesus. I feel kind of more Christian around that time. You know, Mary, did you know, comes on the radio. I kind of feel worshipy. But um, (laughs) I mean, it's but then sometimes I just. I, I hear things on there. I mean, you, you know, the political climate, all these other things I hear about what Christians are doing and I want nothing to do with it. And then that's when I go back to being agnostic. I, I float and I think I've actually been there my whole life. I think it just took me to, to being, you know, forged through fire. And then again, to figure out who I really was that I, this is kind of who I am. I'm kind of an agnostic Christian cocktail. Yeah. I still go to church. I still go to church and sometimes I buy it. Sometimes I don't, I take what I need spiritually, whatever nourishes my soul and whatever I don't want, I leave behind. And if yes. there's a potluck, you bet your ass I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> Casey gets well. Wow. I, I think what's interesting about what you're saying is, you know, I, years back, I read a book from uh, a guy named Frank Schaefer, um, son of, I don't, if you're good, really good evangelical, you know, his dad, Francis Schaefer, who was kind of, Ooh. he had, he, he was a good uh, founder of, um, I guess it was a part of the religious right. He definitely had a big influence on that. But anyway, Frank was like, you know, keynote speaker at Southern Baptist conventions, all that stuff. And he eventually Ew. took, he eventually just was like, oh, I think this is all really bad. Now, if you listen to anything he says, it's like he's paying penance for all of that. Like it's, there's a lot of animosity towards that group of people. But he wrote this book called Why I'm an Atheist Who Believes in God. And it was really helped me out when I read it because it was like, it's, I think it puts to words some of what even you're feeling, what I was feeling where it's like just this idea that anybody's one thing all the time is insane. Like some days you wake up and you kind of believe in it. Some days you don't, but to pretend like we're consistently on board with every aspect of one thing from start to finish every single day is kind of absurd. And I'm kind of hearing that from you. And I think I resonate with that as well. And that like, I'm a Christian, but I guess often a Christian agnostic and that I don't have any, what, what can you know about like the, the infinite, the it's infinite universe. That's kind of just unknowable, almost unknowable, but also feels like we can connect to it at times. I don't know. Uh, so I hear what you're saying. And I think that, I think that's neat. I, I, I find it refreshing almost when I hear people who, are fine not knowing sometimes don't think anything of it, but are still intrigued enough to kind of float in and out of something uh, that they still feel a connection to on a whim almost. And I think that's as opposed to a full blown abandon of like, this hurt me, this sucks. It's garbage game over. Not that there isn't a place for that, but I, I, I think what you're saying is kind of neat and refreshing and even unique. It's not definitely, it's not the, maybe the common path for people. It's, I mean, it's, I still pray and I still think like, maybe this, maybe I'm praying and it, but I think like, I, I look at the Christian aspect like this when I, when I am wearing that Christian hat and I don't feel like being an agnostic that day, or even some days an atheist for that matter, who knows what's going to happen to us when we die. Maybe we take a dirt nap. Maybe we don't, 
But I think as long as my Christian ideals and my the way I treat people don't hurt, and if they're not hurtful to others, they're inclusive, cool. But if it turns out to be false tomorrow, why didn't hurt anybody? So, you know, as long as my my spiritual endeavors are not harmful to others and they benefit me and they enrich my life, then cool. Um, and then on those days, I really don't feel like it. I'm an agnostic, especially yeah. when I turn on the radio and I hear about, again, the, the, the climate of today. That's when I, you know, I think during maybe the Trump years, I was an agnostic and I completely jumped ship. It was only until recently I got back aboard, got more, com- <laughs> got more cozied up with, you know, being back at church and, and maybe, maybe thinking about dabbling with that world again. Yeah, Christianity has gone through a really unappealing phase, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's not the time to get saved right now, I'll tell you that. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't sell anybody on this bullshit right now. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard. I was a salesperson for many Your years. Your dad could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm a salesperson, but I'm no con. I, I can't really like, peruse people into this. <laughs> So I, my big question for you after all of this is, uh, how do we get your dad on the podcast? That's a great question. It's like, where's Waldo of criminals? Good luck finding him. Um, the last, I mean, he's he leaves no breadcrumbs behind. He is off the radar. Good luck. He would be a gem to interview, though. Far more interesting than me. He actually, last I knew, he married a woman um down in illinois and they have been on the run now for 11 years family has not seen or heard from them so he's kind of just doing it all over again that's wow. kind of how i lived so lucky at least her the, lucky her um because the family reached out to me on facebook they saw that i shared the same last name it's after i stopped using my fake name i went to go use my real name and then boom somebody finds me Wow. And this family, yeah, this family of this woman he married reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, do you know where he's at? I, I, and I don't. I have no clue. He could be dead for all I know. Um, but we've been staying in contact now for about 10, 11 years and saying, hey, have you heard from him? Nope. Nope. And so uh, this family has been desperately looking for their for their long lost family member that he married and ran off with, took the kids and everything. They haven't seen him since. Oh, oh no. my God. That's, that's terrible. So if you can find him, let me know because there's a few PIs I would love to call. <laughs> let them know I <laughs> found him. his name out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you, it's wild thinking about like how much you've gone through and how probably, I mean, you had to have felt like you really couldn't share that with a lot of the people in your lives for a long time. Um, I'm sure there's a degree of shame and stuff that you had to overcome with it. Um, you know, do you think that I'm, I'm guessing that humor is part of how you deal with some of that because you're hilarious, you know, uh, you've had us laughing the whole time. I feel like that's kind of part of how I deal with some of the stuff that, you know, the minor things by comparison, but some of the things that I went through, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, I've had a dark sense of humor for many years. Um, I was born that way. Um, so I think laughing about it has been healing for me, but really, I mean, I, I couldn't tell this story for a long time. That's why I was like, you know, I'm going to go on this podcast. I'm going to tell my truth. You know, here it is, you know, you grow up with people, you get to know them. You, they share stories about how, well, I got to go on vacation. I grew up here. Well, why I can't share my story because it's dark. Those are my stories. That's my childhood. We, we get to hear stories about, and I think in the Christian circle, we're not allowed to be not okay. 
And I'm okay right. now with not being okay. I, I do have a lot of damage and baggage, but I also went through 15 years of real counseling, not Christian counseling. <laughs> I, um, I am no longer washing my room with the blood of Christ or burning books. Um, but I went through real counseling and I had to learn. I'm not ashamed of this story. This is who I am. Um, and now I'm, I, I'm okay with telling people that. So when people ask me like, Hey, where'd you grow up? I'm like, well, we moved around here and there. Was your dad in the military? I'm like, no, he was a Christian con man. Now I feel like if I, you know, in the Christian world, we put that baggage behind you and you soldier on, but that's not how I want to live my life. I want to put this in front of me, face it and tell my story because just because I got a dark story doesn't mean I shouldn't be able to share it. Is there any part of you that like, I, I feel like there's been so many movies and things over the years about con men and, and uh, you know, professional liars and stuff like that. Does that stuff, is it hard for you to stomach some of that stuff when it comes out or is it, I mean, is it just irritating? Is it too, too hard to, to really watch and enjoy that kind of stuff for you? I mean, I think maybe back in the day it was. I think now, at you know, where I'm at now, this headspace I'm in, I think this is the most healthy I've been about it. You know, I'm not a me. So, no, I, I, people ask me, what was your life like? I'm like, have you ever seen Catch Me If You Can? I don't know if you guys ever saw that. <laughs> That's what I kept thinking of the yeah, whole time. Totally. <laughs> yeah, because my dad was this grandioso head of this, you know, he was friends with celebrities, millions of dollars, but none of it really existed. And he was just on the run. So if I really want to tell people like the Cliff Notes version, not go on a podcast and tell details. But if I want to give the clip notes version, I'm like, watch, catch me if you can and call me after. Like, we'll talk. That's kind of my life. Two mice fell into a a bucket of milk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I actually love that movie, but I actually think like, it doesn't give me PTSD to watch it. I look at it and think, yeah, it's kind of what I lived. And you know what? I kind of think that people who've gone through some shit can be interesting. You know, I kind of have this boring life now. I've been married 10 years. I got a couple ducks, some gray hairs, and I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't really have anything interesting going on these days. It's like, how can I put my daughter through, like, this much adversity? So she's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Visit grandpa for the summer. (laughs) No, you'll never see her again. Don't do it. (laughs) I've got a really good summer camp for you to go to. (laughs) But, But I feel like that adversity is what makes you, what makes you interesting, you know? So yeah. I kind of think it's and all I'm fascinating. Sorry, did, did you say that you have a couple of ducks? I have ducks. Yeah. I'm a stay at home mom. I have ducks. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty boring these days. I used to be a nomad gypsy on the run and now I've been in the same place for 10 years. I'll tell you, I get a little antsy when I'm um, idle, but wow. I've learned to stay still. You can always, when you get too bored, you can always take after your father and just go on the <laughs> land and Make just just make up an exciting yeah, narrative. It's gonna you know? be great. That would, <laughs> you know, I don't think I'm as creative. I don't think I can make up this amazing narrative. You can sell your um, story to Hollywood. I don't know. There's something here. There's I've had a couple people who are interested when yeah. I actually we sat down and talked to me. I had a, a friend who's an, uh, a published author, and she was interested in, and she actually knew my dad. She grew up alongside with us, and she always wanted to write his story. Hey. So, man, well, I love that idea. Jen, I thanks so much for sharing your story with us we've had you on here for a little while now and it's been really fun and it's so interesting i was super excited to hear your story and it was even more exciting and fascinating than i was expecting so thanks for just sharing it with us yeah hey thanks for thanks for listening it's like i said it's healing for me to say it out loud 
because I think uh, it's okay to not to be okay. And I'm glad you guys are okay with having somebody who's not okay on your show. <laughs> well, it's all of us. We're all not okay. You're in good <laughs> No, <company>. nobody's okay. <laughs> I don't have, I, I used to just think it was, I was cool or interesting because I told somebody I was like homeschooled my whole life. And they're like, what? I can't imagine the reactions you get uh, when you throw this one out there for people. <laughs> It's kind of a fun curveball, like when the conversation's super boring at a dinner party. Like, what was your life like? I'm like, I either like make, I either like leave out a lot of details and leave it vague, or I just drop bombs and walk away because I think it makes people uncomfortable, and I think it's really fun. <laughs> Sometimes I like to drop those bombs that make people on edge because I'm so comfortable with it, but other people aren't, so it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. That's like bringing up a like making a, a sexual joke in front of your oh. grandpa and just watching him <laughs> scramble. Oh yeah, those things are fun too, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've well, ever had this though. Like when you were homeschooled, I had somebody one time say like, I don't know, I was talking to a coworker and I said something like, I was like, oh yeah, I was homeschooled, and they went, that's what it is. Yes, okay, continue. <laughs> they like knew something was off. <laughs> And so as soon as I said that I was homeschooled, it was like the missing link. I was like, dude, you have no idea what's behind all that. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Man. Well, it was great to meet you, Jenna. You Thanks for coming on. And uh, to everybody listening, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next time.